This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, October 3rd. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Telluride Ski Patrol threatens strike, Telluride Foundation announces 2022 Volunteers of the Year, Mass Movement is Reborn, and a Mountain Weather Forecast. Telluride ski patrollers are preparing to go on strike if they don't come to a contract agreement with a Telluride ski resort. We're not going to be willing to work without a contract. That's Graham Hoffman, a Telski ski patroller and president of the Ski Patrol Union in Telluride. Telluride Ski Patrol unionized in 2015. Hoffman says since then they have negotiated their contracts a year in advance. So they never headed into a season without a contract already on the books. But this year, he says, was different. According to Hoffman, in 2021, Telski said it was unwilling to negotiate a contract with a full season still to go. That's fine. That's their prerogative. So the Ski Patrol Union worked to negotiate its contract this fall. And we spent most of August um, in negotiations. And we did not come to a finalized agreement by the end of the contract, which was August 31st. According to Hoffman, the majority of the contract is finished, but the union and the ski company are hung up on two remaining details. The first, Hoffman says, is an in-the-weeds ski patrol matter. The second is money. Hoffman won't say the specific salary increases the union is looking for, but say they want to keep pay in line with cost of living. We're, we're just trying to find an agreement, again, that just that keeps our, experience, our highly skilled, our highly experienced patrollers here, that continues to attract patrollers um, from other mountains that want to live and work here, and that, that makes it financially viable for them so that we can continue to, to operate this mountain in a safe manner. He notes Ski Patrol is already feeling the crunch of people leaving the job. We already know of, of two experienced patrollers that are, are just due to housing and financial hardships are, are not going to be able to come back this year. And it's, it's these huge blows to our experienced patrol staff that we're, we're trying to avoid. Hoffman says the Ski Patrol Union will continue to work with Telski to negotiate a contract, but is unwilling to work if they don't have one in hand. We'll work at it every single day. Um, but unequivocally, you know, I think so Park City was, was a good example of this situation where they worked for two years without a contract while they continued to negotiate with Vail. Uh, on their union contract, and we're, we're just not going to go down that road. In a statement, Telski owner Chuck Horning says ski patrollers, quote, represent the core integrity of our resort and contribute greatly to our guests' amazing experience. He goes on to say Telski, quote, looks forward to continuing our amicable and respectful relationship through a mutual acceptable agreement. Hoffman says the Ski Patrol Union and the Telluride Ski Resort will come back to the negotiating table at the end of October. Ski Patrol begins work on and off the mountain in November. Claudia Garcia-Curcio, Julia Milan-Avila, and Andres Jacinto Alonso make the Telluride region better. And now, they're getting the recognition they deserve. The three were recently named the Telluride Foundation's Volunteers of the Year for their, quote, exceptional leadership and advocacy for the Latino community. Milan Avila works with Tri-County Health Network's Communities That Care Coalition, and this year she started the first women's Hispanic-Latina softball team. 
Jacinto Alonso started volunteering during the pandemic to support the Latino and Chute communities and continues to work with San Miguel County Public Health, the Collaborative Action for Immigrants, and San Miguel's Behavioral Health Solutions Panel. Finally, Garcia Curcio. Outside of her work at the Wilkinson Public Library, she serves on a variety of boards and commissions to advocate for the Latino community. She serves on the Commission for Community Assistant Arts and Special Events, Communities That Care, Progressive Women's Caucus, the San Miguel Resource Center, and is a founding member of the Collaborative Action for Immigrants. In a news release, Jason Corzine, president and CEO of the Telluride Foundation, notes the award was created to, quote, honor individuals who selflessly make extraordinary contributions to the region's quality of life. As the 2022 Volunteers of the Year, Garcia Curcio, Milan Avila, and Jacinto Alonso will receive a commemorative plaque and a grant of $2,000 each to be given in their name to a local nonprofit of their choice. According to the Telluride Foundation, they are considering starting a special grant fund to better support the Latino community in the region. The Telluride Foundation will hold a community celebration on October 11th at the Transfer Warehouse from 4 to 6 p.m. The event will be bilingual and the entire community is encouraged to attend. In a small dance studio in the Palm Theater, mirrors line the wall, a small collection of dancers move through the space. It's a dynamic journey when you think of rebirth because there's a lot of letting go and shedding and uh, a little bit of this death foreshadowing that has to happen before you can go through this rebirthing phase. And those are the types of things that we're working with in these concepts. Kelsey Trottier is the executive director of the Telluride Dance Collective. This week, the collective will perform its annual mass movement show, Rebirth. We started with the theme and we stitched the whole show together from there. So we've been working with flowing different types of music and songs together to create this nonlinear narrative of the journey of rebirth. Dancers leap through the air with grace, collapsing into movements on the floor, breathing new life into the music. Trottier says mass movement is about bringing together the local dance community, choreographers, professional dancers, and movers who have never been on stage before. This performance has 15 dancers, ranging from 16 to 54 years old. At the heart, Trottier says she hopes the performance will make the audience feel something. Anything, she says, is fine. I think that dance gives us an outlet for expression and that dance can be this catalyst for processing things in the human experience that are hard for us to put words to. And there's so many art forms that help us do that. And to me, dance is the one that really helps embody it.
She says it's an opportunity for true human expression. In a culture where often we're trying to control our bodies or we're judging our bodies and there's a lot of shame attached to bodies and the list can go on, I think that dance can be this celebration of the body. And that's something I think we need more and more of. The Telluride Dance Collective's mass movement performance of Rebirth will take place on Thursday, October 6th and Friday, October 7th at 7.30 p.m. at the Palm Theater. Tickets are available at TellurideDanceCollective.com. Telluride's valley floor is the backyard anyone would dream of. Biking trails and elk, cross-country skiing, and a river running through it. But that river and its banks have seen some hardship over the years. The river was moved, mine tailings dust up the shore. But local governments and organizations are doing their part to help bring the river and the valley floor to full health. This week, Telluride project manager Lance McDonald will be leading a walk to share more information on how and why the San Miguel River Restoration Project is taking place and what's happening with mine tailing mitigation work. Along the way, individuals will also learn more about general hydrology and the history of the San Miguel River. The walk will meet at the Lawson Hill Park and Ride at 9.30 a.m. on Thursday, October 6th, and then cross onto the valley floor on the west end. Remember to wear sturdy shoes. Governor Jared Polis declared a statewide emergency last week over the spread of avian flu. The highly contagious virus has been confirmed in at least 18 counties, including Weld, Larimer, and Broomfield. The virus is often passed from wild to domestic bird populations. Earlier this year, a flock of 60,000 birds in Montrose County was euthanized due to the avian flu. State veterinarian Maggie Baldwin says upcoming bird migrations are only going to make things worse. Our experts anticipate that we're going to see cases two to three times what we've seen so far this year um, happen this fall with that fall migration. She says now is the time for backyard and commercial bird owners to increase biosecurity measures and prevent interactions between domestic and wild birds. The governor's emergency declaration allows for increased coordination and funding on a statewide scale. Avian flu is usually fatal in birds but poses little risk to humans. Resources for dealing with the virus are available at the Department of Agriculture's website. Colorado is suing two pesticide companies over business practices that have allegedly hurt farmers. 
KOTO's Lucas Brady-Woods reports nine other states and the Federal Trade Commission have also signed the lawsuit. The lawsuit, filed last week, claims two companies, Syngenta and Corteva, broke the law by excluding competitors from the pesticide market. It argues those actions cost farmers millions of dollars per year. Kerry Wickstrom is a wheat farmer in Morgan County. He says with the cost of pesticides increasing, they're now one of his biggest expenses. A lot of the stuff we use has definitely went up, and some of it's been in short supply. So we've got inflation in general. It's frustrating if it's uh, artificially or illegally created. The lawsuit says the two companies offered incentives to distributors to keep supplies of competitive products down. That includes most major pesticide distributors in the U.S. According to the lawsuit, that inflated prices across the market for both farmers and consumers. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Denver. Neurovirus is a nasty stomach bug that's usually associated with cruise ships and restaurants. It can sicken people for days with nausea and vomiting. As KUNC's Luke Runyon reports, the virus is so contagious that outbreaks can pop up in some unexpected places, like the Grand Canyon. Jackie King and a group of 14 friends launched their rafts into the Colorado River in early May. The trip started smoothly, other than it being unseasonably warm. But when they ran into other rafters, they were warned. Norovirus was sweeping through the canyon. By day nine, one person in King's group was sick. Stomach troubles. After patient zero, it was one to two people a day going down. Um, Our worst day was when we ran upset rapid. Upset is a huge, roiling whitewater rapid right in the middle of the canyon. And we had three people go down almost instantly after we got through the rapid. Um, People vomiting over the side of the boat just couldn't hold anything in. King became ill that same day. Her group had a military-grade metal rocket box to use as a toilet. That's required of all rafters to store human waste from the three-week-long trip. And theirs was getting a lot of use. You're sitting on a rocket box, in the outdoors, in the middle of nowhere, hugging a bucket. Um, And it's, I mean, it's about as uncomfortable as you can imagine. King's group wasn't alone in its misery. Justice Burkett and his wife backpacked the canyon two weeks after King floated through. I would say about two hours after I started drinking the water from the river, um, my stomach was in tremendous pain. Like it felt like there was like a balloon being blown up from inside of me that was like being overfilled. Both King and Burkett were part of what a new CDC report calls the largest documented outbreak of norovirus in the Grand Canyon backcountry. From April to June of this year, there were more than 200 confirmed cases and likely a lot more that went uncounted. Sharon Hester is with Arizona Raft Adventures, which outfits trips in the canyon. She says a few of their guides got sick this spring, and it can be tough to keep germs from spreading even in the great outdoors. What they do is um, try to put them in a boat uh, where they're the only one rowing or they're the only person in that boat. Or if there's uh, you know, someone else sick, it would be the sick boat <laughs> where everybody would try to stay away. Hester says norovirus has been a problem in the canyon for years. The virus can live in the river's tepid water and then easily spread among groups who all use the same toilets and eat communally. The CDC report says the virus can even survive in beach sand, where rafters set up camps, allowing it to spread between trips. 
As the number of tourists visiting the national park has grown and outbreaks have become more frequent over the years, Hester says raft companies have been forced to change protocols. Don't vomit in the river, vomit in a garbage bag, Um, you know, isolate people, hand washing, you know, it got more and more strict, um, making sure the water was always purified. By the time Jackie King's group of 15 people got off the river, all but four in her group had come down with norovirus. They'd even started adding small amounts of bleach to their drinking water to try and purify it. Even with all the stomach trouble, would it keep her away from another Grand Canyon trip? Oh, no, no. I like I am chomping at the bit to go back down um, and have a different experience. A trip where no one has to hug a bucket. I'm Luke Runyon in Grand Junction, Colorado. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms tonight, with mostly cloudy skies and a low around 35 degrees. Tuesday, there's a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms, with mostly sunny skies during the day and mostly clear skies at night. The high is in the mid-50s, with a low around 40. Wednesday, expect mostly sunny skies with a chance of showers and thunderstorms. The high is near 60 degrees. Wednesday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 40 degrees. This has been the news for Monday, October 3rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Attention parents with young children. Do you want to help your child learn skills like problem solving, how to make a friend, and how to identify emotions? Join Bright Futures, Wilkinson Public Library, and Telluride R1 School District for our annual parenting workshop on the Pyramid Model. This free community event will take place on Wednesday, October 12th at 5.30 p.m. at the library. Dinner, child care, and Spanish translation will be provided. Please email Madeline at brightfuturesforchildren.org with any questions. See you on October 12th. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.